Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. Uh, as always, I am Justin, and I am joined by... Beth. Sam. And I guess that makes me Caleb. Sure does. Nothing has changed. I in... didn't know it was a <laughs> eliminate. I've just got a list of names in front of me. We. I didn't know we got to pick. <laughs> I'll get. I get to be Sam next time. I had to see who was left. All right. Now that now that we've figured out who we are, maybe uh, we're back here again. We are reading Mistborn: The Final Empire, uh, and today we are beginning part two, uh, covering chapters nine, ten, and eleven. So we're beginning. Uh, the part Rebels Beneath a Sky of Ash, and uh, most of the pieces have been set, and we're uh, we're getting ready to go. So just right off the bat, uh, how is everyone doing with, uh, with the chapters that we just read? It's great. Um, I wrote in my notes for this that we're just becoming increasingly less and less YA, because the, pr- the very start of the book... You've got that classic YA formula. There's a, a you know a girl in a downtrodden circumstance, and then there's a badass who takes her and under his wing and elevates her to this great stature. You know that that you see in YA books right. like the Hunger Games and whatever. Right. Um, and then you've got Kelsier killing everybody, and then you've got uh, what we'll see in chapter eleven. <laughs> I was I was gonna say we the badass mentor figure does kill dozens of people by burning down a house in the prologue of the book so it didn't exactly start like a hundred percent adhering to every single thing you would expect from ya but i do agree that it kind of is getting more and more intense as it goes on in fairness to kelsier that was off screen so it didn't count you're right i'm so that was silly of me exact and like ya books ya books can have that edginess without you know pushing it too far but if they like showed it then you know you wouldn't you wouldn't show that off at a high school or whatever sorry just real quick um final fantasy 6 also ascribes to the idea of if you burn down a village but it's off screen it doesn't count that character's still a good person (laughs) i guess this is a celis has never done anything wrong in her life (laughs) it's it's characters beth likes do nothing wrong all right, I guess we'll have to keep an eye out for more burning buildings down off screen then. Just know, if I say that I like a character, it's only a matter of time. That's my prediction for this episode. <laughs> Every character I like will at some point burn down a village. All right, I'll write it down. I will say just starting off, uh, the title of part two is just a very cool title to a thing. Um, it also it reminds is. me of... One of my favorite titles for anything ever. Uh, there is a specific JoJo episode that has a somewhat similar title. I won't say what it is because I will get Beth to actually watch the rest of JoJo at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, just it's very evocative imagery and description within just a couple of words, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that uh, that Brandon does have the the part titles. Um, I don't. I think all of his books that have parts which is most of them actually, uh, have part titles. Uh, the Stormlight Archive, I believe, I believe are the only ones that also have chapter titles. Uh, but it is nice to get that that little extra bit of, you know, sometimes it can do some some characterizing. You could interpret the epigraphs as just being very long chapter titles. Do Warbreaker and Elantris have parts? Do Warbreaker or Elantris have, have parts? I'm checking now. Yeah, this... 
quite blatantly is not about the book we're discussing, but now I am curious. Uh, Elantris does. Uh, the parts are called The Shadow of Elantris, The Call of Elantris, and The Spirit of Elantris, but Warbreaker does not. Interesting. Do you think that the early installment weirdness would be the earliest installment? <laughs> right. All right. Back to the, the book actually on hand. Uh, let's get started here uh, with the beginning of chapter nine, uh, starting off with, a, as we mentioned, a, a short epigraph that merely says, in the end, I worry that my arrogance shall destroy us all. Yeah, short and sweet. I must shamefully admit that to this point, I've been kind of skipping over the epigraphs. Um, I had a, first of all, I graduated with a degree in history, um, and my history professor, uh, many of them, but particular Mr. David Barclay, um, who's an esteemed German history professor, told me that block quotes are pointless and that you need to skip them and ignore them because they need to be interpreted later on. Um, this is not the case for epigraphs. <laughs> they are very important key narrative parts of the story, but my history brain kicked in and I kind of ignored them. But this time, I've got them all listed in one spot and, uh, you know, ready to discuss them. I've definitely heard from from other people who have done this kind of deep analysis reading of Sanderson books, it's not uncommon to, to take all the epigraphs and group them together. Um, and one in particular in one series of them in some of the Stormlight books uh, are intended to be read kind of cohesively from start to finish. And so it's, it's very helpful in that case to group them all together and read them that way. So we'll see what uh, what develops there as we... We don't really have any way of knowing, but are the epigraphs in this book in, like, chronological order? Just off the top of my head, it seems like if you if you just sort of take them one chapter at a time, it seems like they would bounce around a lot. Which maybe that's just how that author writes. I can't judge. There was a point where I th thought we were actually going back in time with the epigraphs based on how Terrace specifically was described. Um... And then I went back, and that's not quite what it was. It seems like, from what I could tell, we are going in order. But uh, there certainly could be some shuffling around. And yeah, if the implication is that this is the order that the author wrote them, but just decided to go, like, turn to a random page of the journal for every entry. That is, uh, that certainly says something about the author. I don't know what. Without going into too much detail uh, as to the details of this because we will be looking more into this later i believe the epigraphs here are at least roughly in chronological order as they are in the the text that they're from uh they might be shuffled around here and there to kind of line up with how brandon wanted them to line up with the the chapters of the book but at least very closely they're um they're in order I'm also keeping a running tally of, um, I, I do still think this is kind of the journal of the Lord Ruler back before he became the Lord Ruler. Um, but I'm still keeping a tally of how many of these things sound like, oh, Kelsier also could have said that. Um, and I don't know if Kelsier would have said this chapter nine one, which for the record audience is in the end, I worry that my arrogance shall destroy us all. Because I don't know if Kelsier has enough self-awareness to, uh, to think that out loud. No, he doesn't worry about his arrogance at all. Seemingly not. I think that this is where uh, this kind of section is where it becomes pretty clear that it is about the Lord Ruler, though. I don't know. You know, I'm not going to go all in on that because you never know. 
you know, could be a, a strange reveal later on that the Lord Ruler backstabbed somebody and took their place and then whatever. But uh, in chapter 11, we see a fountain of the Lord Ruler killing the deepness, you know, and it says in the chapter five epigraph, the deepness must, must be destroyed. And apparently I'm the only one who can do so. All right. We will see. Uh, getting into the chapter itself now, uh, we start in the middle of some exciting Alamancy action. We get to see Vin has evidently been, been practicing with what she learned in the last session that we read. Uh, and she's having a, a bit of an Alamantic duel, which is very cool to read about. Oh yeah, it was great action reading through it. Um, I don't. I mean, I was a little disappointed that most of it was just iron and steel. Um, but I guess they're the most like motion-based things, and this is kind of a cat and mouse fight more so than a stand and deliver fight or whatever. Right. Right. So, um, makes sense. But you know, I was like, just iron and steel. Come on. Yeah, that's at least what the the focus seems to be here. I think Kelsier mentions it later that like she's good at iron and steel, but she needs more. Right. We get a uh, Vin figures out a neat little trick where she takes her her coin pouch uh, and launches it off into the the darkness because the way that that this alimantic fight is going down, you can't really see anything, and so th they're navigating mostly by. The, the blue lines that are given off by iron and steel. So by taking her only real source of metal and, and launching it away, she can make a neat decoy there. Uh, and it, it fools her, her mystery opponent, who is a mystery for about two more pages before we are told that it's Kelsier. They're having a little sparring match to get her skills up. What I think is weird, though, is um, she slashes at a point with her glass daggers in this oh, fight. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're going after each other here. I mean, that's, that's intense for sparring. I don't know. If we know anything about Kelsier, to be fair, it's that he he does 100% everything. <laughs> he commits to the bit. And if that means he gets stabbed a little bit, that's fine. Yeah, I think we've, we've learned that about Kelsier by now, for sure. Mm -hmm. There's another little detail near the end of this that I love, where Vin instinctively drops her dagger so she can, like, thrust her hands forward like she's using the force. And then Kelsier specifically is like, you you super don't have to do that. Which, again, it's the sort of thing where you're like, yes, this this mental battle of wills, of course that's what you do. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Kelsier points out that, one, she, she drops her, her knives, which is not good. And two, that you don't want to give away your actions by gesticulating. Is it Ewan McGregor in the Star in the Star Wars movies who would make lightsaber sounds yes. when he? Yeah, yes, that absolutely was yep. Ewan. <laughs> kind of reminds me of that. I do also love. I can't find the line right now. There is a moment where Vid talks about not wanting, like, not wanting to be wasteful with coins. Um, whereas, like, Kelsier is very nonchalant about throwing them however many he needs away. Um, just because it's very much feels like when you're in a video game and you only have so many potions. And you're fighting the final boss and it's the only time to use them. But what if I need them later? That part of your brain is telling you, no, don't use them now. They could be even more useful later. Um, it was very relatable for me. There's a, a really interesting... Have any of you played any of the Metro, Metro 2033 and the like games? I'm slightly familiar, but I have not played them, now. It's been on my wish list since 2011. And I haven't bought it. <laughs> so they're, they're set in a post-apocalyptic irradiated russia 
most of the game takes place in the the former Moscow subway system because uh, it's underground and it was protected. And one of the currencies in the game is bullets, is good condition pre-war bullets uh, because they're they're very useful and therefore valuable. And and your guns that you fire, you can get really crappy kind of remanufactured ammunition. That's what you use most of the time. But if you really need to do some damage, you can load your your money bullets into your gun and fire them. And they're very effective, but you're also literally firing your money at your your enemies. So Vin definitely has some interesting opinions given her background on the use of, of literal money as as weaponry or tools. I like how this this scene ends, uh, the way that their fight ends, is they get into a... It, it is very much like the force they get into a, a a pushing contest where they're they're both trying to push each other back with the same coin in the middle and it turns out that uh vin is like 100 pounds or something and and kelsier says you probably shouldn't get into pushing matches with people bigger than you which is probably everyone so yep. some good advice there there's actually a, a cool project that um, brandon and his team did a few years back where there's a company that makes souvenir uh, like replica coins from fantasy books and movies. And so they did a series of Mistborn coins, uh, which I will have to put some photos in our chat so you can you can see them. Uh, but they did a Kickstarter and one of the the bonuses uh, was they made this coin that Kelsier gives to Vin as a souvenir, the one that is is flattened between them. Uh, so I, I actually have a replica of this oh, clip that's that's just been squashed flat. It's pretty cool. That's very cool. So they finish up their fight uh, and they head on back to uh, keep Renault. And Vin has some some time to think about what's been going down so far. I do want to point out at that the beginning of this chapter, we did have a brief glimpse of Vin is happy. She did really enjoy flying around in the mist. I feel like we need to start keeping track of these because it, it feels like it will be rare. <laughs> so back at, uh, at the mansion, uh, we meet Kosan, who is... I believe she's the only named character from this section that's, like, new. I think you're right. Because um, there's, you know, the apprentice and whatever in the, in the um, what would you call it, the food the food house oh restaurant um like the soup kitchen, kitchen? soup right kitchen? yeah, yeah. There's the, word. <laughs> the food, food house the food, the food house, house you know with the two sitting places outside perfect i'm gonna open a restaurant called the food house keep it straightforward new business plan uh i do believe we do eventually get a, a name for one of breeze's helpers named cobble Unless we already met that character, but I don't think so. So Cezid has brought uh, Kosan to help him, uh, and it's time for Vin to get a haircut. It's apparently something that they've been thinking about for some time. Uh, and, and Kosan is, is very serious about her haircutting. Uh, she says that, that Vin's hair is probably long enough, but uh, I cannot perform miracles. And then Cezid takes advantage of the fact that getting a haircut requires Vin to sit still for some length of time. Uh, and he thinks that he has a religion that she might appreciate. We've seen a little bit about Sazed and his appreciation of religions. 
Uh, and here is another one that uh, he thinks that, that she might be interested in uh, Trellogism after their god Trell. And he tells her a little bit about it. And uh, she thinks that it's it's probably not quite for her. I, I, I just love this. I, because there are so many times when world building details are introduced and I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Whereas in this case, the first time I read this book, I was like, okay, the Lord Ruler is God. That is the religion TM. But then you get to this section and it's like, oh, yeah, of course there were others. Why not? And I love that we start getting a glimpse into them and, and what they are and that Cezanne is like very lightly evangelizing them. It's really cool. Right. Uh, I am also going to to point out to Beth that uh, this is the first mention of Trell in the Cosmere, and mm. there's still some big open questions about that. So it is. Caleb and Sam, I would tell you more, but I can't because we don't know. Rafo. Oh, yeah. not Rafo. <laughs> <laughs> Rafo eventually. Oh, the, you can definitely get Rafo for for things that aren't published yet. It's a it's a rare instance of Justin and I looking at each other. But not really, because we can't see each other, but looking spiritually at each other and saying, interesting? Exactly. Oh, no, there's lots of stuff that, that Beth and I will reread and say, oh, right, that's where that gets brought up. And this one is, huh, that gets brought up here. I don't know. But when uh, when Sazed is, is finished talking about trilogism, Vin is, is a little confused. She says he's he's proposed five religions to her already. How many more could he he know about and he says 562 at least that's how many he has memorized which is quite an impressive feat yeah i don't remember anything never mind 592 religions well you need methods that's what says it has he has methods yeah i'm sure it's sort of like a mnemonic thing yeah i'll say it um yeah beth you need a uh no it's too big it's 562 not 592 so i was gonna (laughs) make a joke about the fact that you couldn't even remember Son the number from five seconds ago, but oh well, I couldn't think of a clever way to do it. <laughs> Justin, cut all this. <laughs> I refuse to be bullied by my own co-host. You're you're in the wrong podcast for that. <laughs> yeah, just in terms of world building, I love that you just kind of have this built-in excuse to be able to introduce all these little faiths because Cezette is just kind of a weirdo who likes bringing it up for no reason, and it just kind of that's just kind of his whole character and it fits and it doesn't feel out of place because like yeah we that's just what his deal is that's that's who he is that's what he it's what he's passionate about it's what's important to him and so yeah he's going to start talking about it with other people when he gets the chance i just like it's it's kind of a fun built-in way to just keep giving more lore mm-hmm. and says it explains a little more um he says that uh, the keepers which is uh, a group that he is he's part of though there's not many of them uh, they ha- they're trying to remember and preserve things from before the Lord Ruler so that someday, if there is a time after the Lord Ruler, people can know what there used to be and can bring those back. And so this is this is his little part. I'm reminded of Mayan culture. Oh, uh, because um, a major part of the you know I I did a, a thesis on this um, so. I'm going to keep it short, but uh, basically when the Spaniards came over, they came with a specific instruction to convert everybody from the Pope and that that was the only way the Pope would approve it. Um, So they did everything in their power to destroy all evidence of these religions existing. 
Um, and so most of the passing down of culture that happens in, in you know, the Mayan regions of Mexico is um, what people remember uh, as opposed to what actually exists. So it's interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. All right. So after... Was I, I'm sorry. I have to... We have to bring this up. <laughs> Caleb just inquired, was this the same Pope that decided capybaras count as fish? Which raises a number of questions. Why do you know that? Why did he do that? Why was this part of the fucking catechism or whatever? I have I have explanations. I, I, just I believe it was beaver. And it was to skirt <laughs> ah. around the the prohibition of eating meat, either during Lent or at all. Uh, they they ah. arbitrarily declared beaver to be a fish because it lives okay. in the water and therefore yeah, it was like yeah it gets in the water can, can we say it's a fish and the pope was like yeah it's a fish fine that's fine oh I I will not comment further on the arbitrary nature of these kinds of decisions all right back in this world where as far as we know there is no pope who had opinions on fish Vin has been has been practicing her part of. Her, her upcoming mission to infiltrate the nobility uh, and has been working on her cover story. So we get some, some world building and exposition by way of Vin, who has just been trying to learn all this. It's kind of a crash course. I did just before we move on, there was one last say line that I thought was really, really cool, which was the empire final empire cannot last forever. Um, I don't know if Kelsey was, who's going to be the one who will do it, but the end will come. Um, and when that happens, then it's that's when it'll be important that i know all this stuff I, it was just a very cool like way to wrap up that conversation of uh um explaining why this is so important to him to keep up these traditions yeah so vin and Cezid talk a little bit about her upcoming infiltration they go over the the great houses the the character that vin is play is playing this velette renew and just kind of the whole the whole cover story and they talk about how Vin doesn't want to stand out and, and says it says, well, you're going to stand out because you're the new girl, but hopefully we can, we can make you only stand out for that reason and not because people are suspicious. Which is probably a very soothing comment to make to one as paranoid as Vin. Yeah, it, it could be better. And then Kelsier shows back up, gives Vin some, uh, some compliments on her new haircut, which is, is definitely a new thing for her. I think she mentioned that her previous strategy was that whenever it got really all that long at all, Reen would just cut it off so that it would was manageable. So this is this is a new thing for her. And uh, in their effort to... Yeah, it was specifically mentions Reen told her, you don't want to look like a girl. Right. And now they are, that is what they are actively trying to do. Kelsier thinks that they may manage to turn Vin into a lady. Sazed notes that uh, she'll have to scowl less, and, and Kelsier says, well, she's very fond of the scowling. And uh, then Kelsier and Sazed go off to talk, as Vin notes, because she's still getting her hair cut, somewhere where she can't eavesdrop on them, which is annoying. We also very quickly get, um, I don't know if this will actually end up being important, but we find out, actually, I suppose it could be the lowest or the highest, um, but... Cezed asks uh, Vin to list out all the great houses of Luthadel in order of power, and Venture is listed first, um, which implies that not only did Kelsier go after one of the great houses, he just went for the number one right off the bat, um, which is just tells you a little bit more about him. I believe he actually asked Doxon uh, who is on top for who he ah, should go target. Interesting. He did, yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, we have the, the full roster there. Venture, Hasting, Olarial, Tihil, Lakel, Eric Heller, Eric Kell, Hot, Urbane, and Buvidas. The ten genders. Bam. Uh, I I thought it was weird, like Kelsier mentions, you know, a little bit back that uh, he's been hitting these houses on a nightly basis for two months. Like, yeah. How do you function? How, how does anything happen when there's just a nightly attack that you have to worry about? And they're still having like formal functions and stuff like like I don't. That's that's a lot of chaos. Yeah, he's certainly trying to make it that way. We'll see how much one person can have an effect, at least for now. But yeah, the the noble houses. It's it's an interesting question of what kind of scale are we talking about here? Like, is this, you know, if there's thousands of people involved here, then Kelsier showing up and fighting a guard isn't potentially a huge deal. But they are all like in one city, so there there's definitely. There's not a lot of, of room here. And then we get uh, Kelsier and Cezid having a bit of a, a debrief on how Vin is doing. I called it a mini PTA meeting in my notes. Yeah, no, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, or I a parent-teacher conference there. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. So they, uh, they're talking, and, and Cezid said that she's making very good progress. She's a, a, a clever, intelligent girl. Uh, though there's not quite enough time for what Kelsier wants. Uh, and Cezid recommends that Vin should go out and, and train with the other members of the crew who are, are specialized in their particular medals. And she can learn some things there and, and not take up Kelsier's time or have to be constrained in that way. So in some sense, we will get a training montage. Hell yeah. There's also a little bit of... of chosen one-ishness for lack of a better term uh, where Kelsier is commenting on how quickly and how powerfully Vin is picking up Allomancy that you know, she was even able to to fight Kelsier to a standoff in a, a pushing match is, is impressive so we'll see how that develops and that uh, wraps up chapter 9 with Kelsier discussing with Sazed that uh, he will be keeping watch over her at uh, at the formal functions and uh, keeping her safe. And we will see how those plans go. But not yet, because we've uh, got some other stuff to happen first. We do get a few more little hints of whatever Sazed's deal is. Uh, specifically, few men, alamancers or not, would fare well in a fight with a keeper whose anger had been roused. That was probably why the Ministry had haunted the sect virtually to extinction. And then we move swiftly on from that. <laughs> Yep, right at the end of the chapter. So beginning chapter 10, uh, we have a, a longer epigraph compared to our last one uh, with our our author here contemplating the, the state of the world uh, and how, given the dramatic events that are apparently occurring, the, the nations of the world are are uniting behind this purpose, at least most of them. Some of them have been threatened to do so, but there is a there's a very large something going on. If this is indeed the Lord Ruler, as as <clears throat> I'm suspecting more and more, it, it reminds me of the uh, the quote from Ultron in uh, Avengers Two, um, where he says, uh, "I think you're confusing peace with quiet." Because uh, right now, you know, it's certainly peace. You know, everybody 
getting along with one another to, to fight this this common evil. But then, you know, later on, with the world kind of united under the final empire, it's not at peace. It's just that quiet. Yeah, it's the the conflict has stopped because there there's nobody left to conflict. Right. It's also ironic to call it peace when presumably when he mentions a dire threat to make them see the value of peace and cooperation, presumably they are all uniting in order to fight. I'm assuming the deepness. That's the, that's the name we've been given right. for the threat at hand. Um, yeah. I don't know if uniting a bunch of nations under one war banner would be considered peace necessarily. It is cooperation. I'll give him that. Um, but I don't know. I, I love all these epigraphs because they just tell you so much about the author's headspace, which again, yeah, I do believe it's the Lord ruler. Um, you can, you can see him be like, um, you know, some kingdoms were gradually fallen to wars that I could not stop being like, oh, there was no way I could have saved that. Um, but the people who do follow me, oh, it's going to be so peaceful and wonderful and perfect. Um, and yeah, it's just really, it's, it's interesting to see the specific wordage used for some of these descriptions. So going into chapter 10, uh, the first thing that we're going to see here is, as Kelsier mentioned, uh, Vin is going to be training uh, with the other metals, with uh, in this case, with Breeze and with the use of brass. Ah, brass. Or, or zinc. Hey, guess what? Caleb, brass or zinc? I'll go with brass. Oh, all right. So you are a novice alamancer just got an apprenticeship and you have a pocket full of clips and boy are you ever excited you walk down the street in the twists and your ash-covered clothes and your dirty smiling face and the first thing you do is walk into a shop full of delicious food there's grapes there's bread there's cakes and it's far better than the ash water that you've been eating before uh this opportunity came around so you ask the unimpressed shopkeeper what the prices are and they hide the board and say they won't sell to you so you feel the brass in your gut. What do you do? Uh, I use the brass to try and convince him to show, tell me what the prices are. I burn the ah, brass. Ah, very good idea. So you use the brass to try and you know bring up those emotions of, of uh, compassion and feeling. Um, but you don't know what you're doing, and you end up elevating all of the emotions at the same time. The overwhelmed shopkeeper staggers out of the shop and calls for a guard before passing out from an anxiety attack. The guards are coming. What do you do? I run. Ah, just as you try to run, you run right into the guards. Now, what do you do now? Uh, I, I try to burn what other brass I have to make this guy just so emotional that he, he can't focus on me. He starts crying and he has to let me go. Just as you tried to riot the guards, wouldn't you know it, you run out. And just at that moment, a steel inquisitor grabs your shoulder. You are dismembered in the alley. Damn. And your master alamancer had promised a 10 boxing bonus, too. The end. Ten bu- isn't that like a, a buck? Well, could be. <laughs> you know, 10 boxings, it's, it's a lot to some people. If we flip back to page 92, can we avoid getting eaten by the Yeti? <laughs> <laughs> And that's a great lead-in to this chapter, which is all about brass and zinc. And things going going wrong. Yeah, the dismemberment's not until later, but we'll get there. 
listeners to clarify, most of us have no idea what the fuck Sam is talking about. Yeah. yeah. Me included. I am enjoying but... it. I just don't know any more than you. <laughs> it's about the element of surprise, Beth. Will this be like a periodic... If that's true, will this be like a periodic thing? Do we all get to have a turn role-playing? Should I start thinking about my character? It all... <laughs> Drop your character sheet, roll for stats. Um, I, I think we're running out of uh, introduction to allomantic powers. So I don't know if there's a great opportunity to do that from here. But they are all bipolar, so um, it's interesting. Sam, do you want to offer more explanation behind brass or zinc or wine or cheese? And should I put it in the episode or not? Sure, um, and put into the episode if you thought it was funny. Um, that's that's my request. Uh, if you didn't, then don't. Um, so, uh, this all comes back to uh, a YouTubers called Hat Films, and they played a game called Weiner Cheese. And you can just Google Hat Films Weiner Cheese, and the first result will be what they do. Um, basically, you just ask somebody, wine or cheese? And what they answer ends up being uh, a, a, a twisty, turny, railroady adventure into dying in a crazy way. So, for instance, you might confuse the wine for fox piss, and you accidentally drink a whole jug of fox piss and attract bears, and the bears find you and they tear you to shreds. Wine or cheese? Brasso zinc. It's tabletop gaming crossed with microfiction crossed with something else that's like like the saw movies that's a good uh good mix there good blender i'm no sommelier but i hope that i realize it's fox piss and not wine before i chug the entire thing (laughs) well that's part of it you know oh it's fox piss oh but by the time you realize it you've already chugged it all sometimes you're so excited about wine it's true i just stand there and i shotgun it that's what you do with wine. You shotgun it. Somewhere my manager is wondering, you know, Caleb's such a good worker. I'm glad he's, you know, I wonder what he's doing on his lunch break, but I'm, I'm sure if he's hard at work, I'm playing brass or zinc. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. So with some similarity to our, our latest diversion, uh, Vin is also uh, in the cracks of, of Luthadel, which is kind of more akin to the, the areas that she's familiar with. And, uh, it's a it's a fairly it's going back to what she knows but it's also a fairly shocking change from you know, mansion renew and she finds her way to a public food house of some sort which we can't seem to come up with a name for food house no you nailed it in one it's public food house yeah okay uh and she gets uh rushed away to the the hidden back room where she meets up with breeze who is as usual, uh, requesting that someone bring him wine. And there's a, I, this like, Breeze is kind of a jerk, but this scene is funny, where he's he's talking to this this random, other ska rebel, uh, and he's saying, you know, maybe I'm soothing you, maybe I'm not, but you're here, you're supposed to take care of me, and taking care of me means that I have wine, so you should get me some wine. Little does Breeze know the wine is in fact fox piss. Yeah, that's. <laughs> That's why this scene ends with him shotgunning. It came back, baby. Hell now yeah. have to leave it in, Justin. Now we can't cut it. It's locked. I'll just cut the whole episode. <laughs> Yay. 
Welcome to There's Always Another Podcast. We're done. Come back next time. (laughs) And we're sorry. (laughs) So we start getting Breeze's opinions on emotional alamancy, which there's definitely some some back and forth here between, you know, he he makes a comment about the the, the noble art of manipulation and, and Vin's not a fan of that. And then... He goes into his whole theory on how every form of of interpersonal interaction is manipulation in some way. You're trying to convince someone to see your side, whether that's because you're you know you're you're good looking or you're charismatic or you're using brass. It's it's you know it's all the same. So, which is not quite a theory that Vin buys into, but it is it is an interesting way to look at it. And it's kind of hard to argue against. <laughs> Yeah, everybody uses that. <laughs> Manipulation and argument are are kind of intertwined here. But um, it reminds me of uh, one of my favorite books, still to this day, even though it's very much a youth book, is called Summerland. And it's a book about baseball and fantasy and everything else, and it's, it's great. Um, but there's a whole portion of it about the magic system in that, which is called Grammar. Um, spelled with an E at the end instead of an A. And a capital G? Yes, of capital course. G. Um, and it's all about the magic in words. Um, if you say the right words in the right way, you can kind of cast spells over people, which is literally the way the world works. But I think I, every time I try and convince somebody of something, I'm like, I'm casting grammar. Um, and I'm sure that that's kind of the same viewpoint here. Like, I'm even if I'm not burning brass, I'm still using that magic. And I think Vin's approach on this may be a little skewed, given... Because she has some experience with, with emotional alamancy. She was using her luck for, for years. But without any training and without even knowing what it was, she was definitely taking a very blunt approach to it. And Breeze's opinion, he says, it's you know it's all about subtlety. You're not overwriting someone's feelings you're just trying to nudge them in in particular ways to get them to to come around on on what you think that they should go with and then his other point is that in order to effectively soothe someone uh to to effectively change their their emotions in some way you have to understand what their emotions are to start with so that's a lot of his focus is understanding how people are going to behave emotionally so that you can turn that to your advantage. A little bit later, we have, we have Ham show up uh, and it is, it is once again, those two guys uh, because Kelsier is not quite here for his, his speech yet. So Ham has some, some philosophy to, to wax. And uh, this is, this is an interesting question that he brings up, which is that the final empire as led by the Lord Ruler, the Lord Ruler is is divine and therefore defines morality. And so in that case, by definition, overthrowing the final empire is a bad thing. And he certainly doesn't, you know, he, he's still in on this plan. He, he's not having a, a crisis of, of faith on whether they should do it, but he just wants to know, is are they doing bad by doing this? It's a little simplistic, but it almost, it felt like a nod to the reader, almost. Like, you also, Mr. Guy who's reading this book, you think about this as well, because, um, you know, not everything is 
perfectly as I'm explaining it. You know, you have to put some effort into interpreting this for yourself. Right. Of course, there's there's Vin's approach, which is, does it matter? Which Breeze is a big fan of of this answer. Yeah. But but Ham's Ham's not buying it. It is funny. This just now occurred to me that the like career thief is taking the time to wax about morality. Oh yeah, no. Ham's great. Like you pointed out, like he's still on it. He's still gonna do it, but yeah. Yeah. Big fan. And this is actually I don't know if we brought this up when we were discussing um casting changes last time around. Um, but this is this is one of the reasons why I disagree with Brandon on if you're going to to gender flip some of the the crew um, to do Ham because I think a lot of the fun of Ham's character is that he shows up you know with his 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 big muscles and not wearing sleeves and he says I'm a thug and I hit things and then he sits down and and says well let's let's have a discussion about the morality of fighting God and I think that there's there's some fun there with leaning into the stereotype of the 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 big bruiser character of of making him you know look like that stereotype and then breaking it so i don't know i just i just like it yeah i'm kind of with you there and now that now that you've cast uh travis willingham caleb he's he's the only one in my brain yeah i'm i'm not backing down from that so fortunately, at least in uh, Vin and Breeze's view, Kelsier shows up, which means it's all business now. Uh, and so he's going to uh, he's going to to give a speech to drum up some interest in the rebellion. And Breeze is going to be working with his team to uh, kind of help the the mood in the room. And you get to hear a, a bit of a, a kind of voiced inner monologue from Breeze as he's identifying particular emotions that he wants to uh, to have soothed away at any given time uh, and then we get uh, we get Kelsier's speech for most of the rest of this chapter i do just love the detail of the way breeze communicates is by sending out people in different clothes that correspond to different emotions i just think that's a really neat way of of sneaking in instructions to people inside the room yeah, you get some some spycraft there i was going to say the very same thing <laughs> it's another example of like when you when you bring on clubs as your smoker, you get a whole team of smokers and like a hideout to to work from. When you hire Ham, you don't just get him as an Alamancer, you get a whole security team. I didn't expect to get the same, like, you get a team when you get Breeze, but it it makes sense and it's fun to see them working here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then we have, uh, we have Kelsier's speech, which I'm not super one to judge on the effectiveness of, of speeches, but it's, you know, it, it's, he's trying to get people in the right emotional space as well. Uh, and he can't really say too much because this is just a, a public building, but he's he's trying to, to drum up some support for the rebellion here. And he's also, I believe, yeah, it's at the very end where Kelsier makes the very dramatic reveal of his own, his scars from the pits and uses that as, as kind of a, a capstone of the Lord Ruler tried to kill me, and he failed, and I'm still here, and look what that means for all of us. I do enjoy Breeze's little inner monologue, but it does make me laugh to think of, like, you want to keep that shit secret, man. <laughs> Don't say that out loud. Like, I was playing Assassin's Creed 2 the other day, and I was, like, stalking a man on a rooftop, and Ezio was like, now is the perfect time to monologue. It's like, it is not. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Yeah. You're you're engaged, engaging in clandestine rebellion here. 
so they wrap that up uh ham says that uh, a few of them are a few of the the people are staying behind to talk some more and they may get a couple of recruits for the army out of that and then we head off to uh to do a a progress meeting to check up on the on the crew yeah there's also just one very i think it's intentional but it's a very strange moment uh towards the end of this where um vin decides you know what i'm gonna let my copper drop just for a little bit and see if i can sense the the emotions being played with here um and um she's like oh yeah i can notice it i i I can feel the emotions being being toyed with a little bit um and then she says it says vin felt her respect for breeze continue to rise suddenly she didn't feel so annoyed with kelsey for handing her off when two paragraphs before vin turned her copper off breeze clarified that the things he in this moment is going to start like affecting are make everyone thoughtful and give them a nudge of loyalty so the fact that Vin proceeds to feel thoughtful and a little bit of loyalty towards Breeze, it's a little bit ironic that she feels like she's in on it, but in fact, she is acting in a way that seems like she is just being directly affected by, by the um, soothing. And I'm sure it's a mixture of both, like knowing that you're being affected by emotions, mm-hmm. you can, you can uh, process that. Um, but I just find it very ironic that... Um, her takeaway from this is, oh yeah, I really do respect Breeze for being able to soothe so well, when in fact, it would also make 100% sense if that's literally just because she is actively being soothed to feel that exact way in this moment. So after the the meeting in the public food house wraps up, uh, we are back to Clubs' shop, and Kelsier gets to stand dramatically on a rooftop and stare off into the distance. His favorite hobby. Honestly, it was... <laughs> I was about to say it's only a matter of time, but this is at least the second, if not probably the third time we've seen him do this, and we're 200 pages in. Mm-hmm. So he is looking at uh, Kredik Shaw, which is the Lord Ruler's palace, and he's got a couple of things that he's thinking about. One is Atium, uh, which, from personal experience, he knows it getting mined. Uh, and then it gets shipped off to the city and nobody really knows anything more about it. So that's something that they're going to have to figure out. He's also giving some thought to uh, the 11th medal. Uh, we do get uh, a bit of a revelation here. It says he knew the rumors about it. He'd started them. I was right. Yeah, it, it remains to be seen. Did Kelsier start rumors in that he was he was the one who was consciously spreading this information around or did he just make this up entirely? But yep, we definitely have uh, some evidence here that, that Kelsier is not being entirely honest with what he knows about the 11th medal. And then Sazed comes up and joins him and they have some, some time together uh, thinking about keepers and alamancers and the Lord ruler he also mentions Credit Shaw. That's where it had ended three years before, and he needed to go back. Um, I don't know. I don't think we've gotten very many details about exactly what happened when he got sent to Hathsin. Um, I feel like this is the first information we've gotten that it would appear, it seems he was apprehended while in the royal palace, um, which is just an interesting thing to note. And then Kelsier, uh, in contrast to, to Vin, actually requests that Sazed... Uh, give him an example of a religion, something that he may believe in. 
And so Sezid tells him about Jaism, which he says is a is a more of a straightforward faith, but they were known for their uh, fanatical devotion to the Jah. And uh, Kelsier in particular wanted to know about a religion that, that had power and that had some sort of, of devotion behind it. So they have they have some some musing on that. We get a classically morally ambiguous line from Kelsier and that he's asking, like, you know, what what makes them so strong? And says it's like, well, some are almost faith, some because of the hope, others were coercive. And Kelsier just goes, Oh, but they all had passion. Just completely ignoring the fact that one of those three things was objectively like bad. <laughs> he's he's only interested in the power in this moment, which again says a lot about um why he's asking and the kind of information he's looking for just the idea that like yeah some were really kind some were really hopeful some did murders and kelsey was like oh but they were all passionate at least um well and then he he asks if any of these religions that Caesar knows about had uh, murdering noblemen as a holy doctrine says right. says i don't i don't think so and kelsey says well maybe i'll start one then because <laughs> we know that that nothing bad has ever come out of spontaneously deciding to start a new religion once more, a lot of the epigraphs that seem like they're the Lord Ruler also seem fairly applicable to Kelsier. Uh, in terms of, you know, starting a new religion, definitely uh, there's, there's, there's parallels that are to be drawn. So we go into the, the check-in meeting. We get to hear about some of the other plans that have been going on. Uh, there's a little bit of, of chatting beforehand with uh, Vin and Lesterborns, who is still difficult to understand. Uh, they're talking about Marsh, uh, who has been, um, is, is definitely, uh, he, he's like Kelsier, but, but just more rigid. And so they, uh, Lustaborn's mentioned, mentions that Marsh used to be nicknamed Iron Eyes, though people haven't really been calling him that because it, it seems a little too close to the, uh, the Steel Inquisitors with the literal metal in their eyes. And then the, the meeting proper starts. We've got some status updates. Uh, the recruiting is going, though a little bit slower than than they'd like. So they're going to try to ramp that up. Uh, Marsh's infiltration of the ministry is, is tricky. He thinks he needs more time for that. Uh, Vin gets to contribute an idea here. She goes all the way back to the the job that we saw in the early chapters with, with Cayman trying to scam the ministry. Uh, and he and and she points out that the other part of this job was Theron uh, and his contact with the the canal boats. So they might have a little bit of an in there to uh, to get someone into the ministry. So that's a bit of a callback there. And it was then, at this point in my notes where I wrote, "This is a long ass chapter." It is, I believe. <laughs> let me check. Yes, it is the longest of the three, by almost twice as much. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Uh, as the the meeting is wrapping up, um, Kelsier is frustratingly vague. Uh, Breeze brings up some of the rumors that he's been hearing about the eleventh medal. Uh, Kelsier just says good, and and doesn't elaborate further. And then uh, bad news occurs. We uh, Ham comes in and announces that apparently the ministry has found Cayman's lair. And that's the end of that. 
Just another really fun callback, just like a good times, remember the beginning of the book, callback to what happens in this lair. Yeah, remember that guy who, who would always beat Finn? Ed Sheeran. <laughs> I, I fucking forgot about Ed Sheeran. We need to make sure that we're not, like, committing slander here. Well, don't forget, in my head it's Danny DeVito. Alright, we will... We'll see what, what Ed Sheeran and or Danny DeVito have been up to in the next chapter. Yeah, it's going to be uh, great, I bet. I bet. And uh, one more epigraph for today. Uh, we, uh, we've we heard about Rashek before uh, and this, this angry young man. Uh, and apparently he's part of a, a group that think that um, some of the, the, the terrorists should be a little more than what they are. Uh, and mentions some unusual powers that they have. Which, once more, you know, tying back into the hint that apparently Sazed could probably throw down if he needs to. Um, mm-hmm. it seems like there might be something inherent in the Terrace people that... Is this perhaps the same mysterious power? Right. Um, also, once more, just driving home that, again, assuming it's the Lord Ruler, uh, Lord Ruler's kind of an asshole in that he's like, Ah, yeah, some of the some of the terrorists don't want to just be these servants who work the farms and, and, and carve stones. Some of them want more things in life. They're dangerous. I should keep my eye on them. I think I might have to deal with them at some point. Like, that's a very quick jumping to a very specific conclusion that, um, you know, it's not surprising at this point, but once more just informs us on how um, this, uh, this character sees things. I'm also in the middle of reading the uh, novelization of Revenge of the Sith. Which is very, very good. Matthew Stover yes. is amazing. Yes. Um, and we get a little inner monologue from Count Dooku and when he's like, yeah, he sees um, people as either assets or threats and there is no third category. Um, and it feels like the person writing these epigraphs kind of sees things in a very similar light of you know, I'm going with the armies. Here are all the people um, who are united in, in order to fight this big threat. Oh, these people don't uh, agree with me? Oh, that's I, I, I should keep my eye on them because I might have to deal with them later and, and take them out. Um, very similar vibes there. All right. Uh, coming into Chapter 11, then, we are at Cayman's Lair. Uh, and Vin might not want to see this, but unfortunately for her and for us, she does. Uh, and it's a massacre. Uh, whoever found the lair has just destroyed it and everyone in it. And it is not a pretty sight. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's bad. I don't get squeamish very often, but there are a few specific descriptions of corpses that I, I did not enjoy. Yeah, it's it's not a good place. Uh, Doxon says this was almost certainly an Inquisitor attack, and that explains something. And it's um. Yeah, it's not a good place. Uh, one thing that, that Vin does notice is that Sazed has come along, uh, which is a little... that That's something that she notices because most of the crew stayed behind. Uh, Kelsier is here. Uh, Ham and his men are here because they're they're very effective in, in that regard. Uh, Doxon is, is here, and, and she says that she's heard that he's a, a capable fighter. And Sazed, who, to the best of her knowledge, is a mild-mannered servant. So some more hints that, that something is going on with, with Sazed there. And Kelsier thinks that this might actually be the same Inquisitor 
who had had noticed Vin way back in in chapter two or whatever it was in the ministry building and has finally figured out where she went and has has chased her at least this far to the lair. Uh, Kelsier points out that there's only something around 20 Steel Inquisitors and only half of them are are in Luthadel. So even just playing the odds, the fact that that there's been two now close encounters with, with Inquisitors for Vin is definitely not a good sign. I think this this section does a lot to really pump up the the fear factor with inquisitors. Yeah. Cuz initially, I mean, it's you know, guys with steel bolts through their eyes, it's a little scary, right? But um but the fact that there's only 20 and the fact that they the like one guy can massacre an entire crew of people who at least can probably scrap you know, not against an inquisitor, obviously, but have some fighting experience. Right. It's, it's, it, it makes them be badasses. Whereas before, it was just you know a spooky guy on the steps turning his steel bolt eyes toward them. Yeah, it's uh, there's there's clearly going to be some points later when we have some more direct um encounters, and it it will be a. a difficult time for our heroes there we also get some of vin's philosophizing or lack thereof i guess of just checking in how she feels and she doesn't really feel anything yeah this is this is very very cold and detached from these people but there was certainly no love lost between them from earlier she says well you know they're dead and that's that so as they are Looking around the area, Vin notices that that Sazed is uh, administering rites. I guess he's taking some of the the bodies and making sure, making sure that they're um, they're they're placed in a more dignified manner. And he's saying a bit of a prayer. Uh, they talk a bit about religion. Um, and Vin asks if he's if he's praying from this religion. Is it the one he believes in? He says, "Well, he believes in all of them." The other thing that they discover, which is also not a great sight is that Milev, who Kelsier had kind of spontaneously promoted to crew leader, uh, was definitely tortured before they killed him. And so they, they tried to get some information out of him. They're worried briefly that it's it's them, that Milev gave up information on them, but uh, Kelsier is pretty sure that Milev didn't actually know any of that info. But it's still kind of a harsh reminder. As of now, we've seen know planning meetings and everyone's having a relatively good time and we've seen some recruiting meetings and Vin's training is going well and this is a pretty early reminder hey you've like several of the crew members have mentioned before eh we'll probably end up dead at the end of this this is a pretty harsh reminder of that sort of thing yeah yeah it's a very uh feels a lot like a girl worth fighting for from mulan where you know they know they're going to war but they're having a good time along the way then all of a sudden oh no that's this is not fun this is going to be really bad if things go wrong um and things have gone wrong for some people um very very similar vibes there did you know that that song is the last musical number in the entire movie there's no more singing after that yep there's also a little tidbit in the ongoing saga of Vin eavesdropping on people where Sazed calls her out for it and says, if if Kelsier wanted you to hear, you think he would be speaking to you. 
I love that he says that and then she just does it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing he can really, uh, Sazen can really do about it except look down with disapproving eyes. Which I think I would be devastated by if Sazen looked down at me with disapproving eyes. So the crew then splits up. Uh, Kelsier is is heading off to to somewhere else uh, as Vin heard uh, where Cayman was. And we get uh, we get Kelsier's musings on the the state of the streets. This is the the statue that you mentioned earlier, Sam. This is where we see that. Mm-hmm. Hollow Knight has been brought up once on this podcast before, and I just want to say um, the idea of going down into a city and finding a statue that gives you more lore is just a very cool image that lives rent free in my head um, because a similar scene also happens in Hollow Knight. That um, it does. It's much. It's it's much more important in hollow knight than here where it's just like oh that's a cool like additional detail about the lord ruler um but the the imagery of it is is just still very very neat so kelsier is trying to figure out what's going on uh Cayman isn't where he expected to find him uh, so kelsier gets a little blatant and just does a mistborn in the middle of the street which seems a little odd but he is he's trying to track down uh what he he smells which is, as we find, uh, Cayman's body. And uh, I'm not going to go through the entire description of this, but uh, this is messy and really gross, which is then immediately followed by the fact that uh, Kelsier is, is startled by someone behind him, uh, tries to shoot some coins at them, and finds out that it's Vin, who had snuck away from the previous group and had been following Kelsier. So, you know, good job on that whole splitting up and... and trusting each other thing pretty sure there was an until dawn death that was very similar to this one um which is always a great sign in terms of uh you know young adults yeah <laughs> oh yeah wasn't it matt yeah that was matt uh, the one everyone forgets about I, I like matt spoilers for until dawn matt can die much like every single other character which is a selling point of the game itself um we also get a fun little reversal of the breeze scene I just talked about um, where Kelsier is really angry and then it says Kelsier calmed himself and he's thinking to himself and then he goes, oh no, Vin's soothing me right now. Yep, I, um, I love that. Which is, it's an amazing moment. And then Kelsier proceeds to be like, oh, you don't have to use Allomancy. It's okay. I wasn't that upset. When it's like, no, you were upset about two, 10 seconds ago and now you're calmer. So you can't just ascribe that to calming yourself down when you know you just got soothed. Again, there's the little bit of like, they're talking themselves into thinking that they're still in control of their emotions, but they are still reacting in the exact way that implies the soothing is still very much at play here. Um, which again, it's just kind of, there's a little bit of like, um, yeah, I think I think everyone is kind of convincing themselves a little bit that the soothing isn't as effective because they're aware of it and they know it's happening so they can they can resist it. And yet their emotions are still playing out the exact same way, which I think is really interesting. And so the the last thing that we learned before this chapter and this part of our podcast wraps up uh is that the particular way that Cayman was was executed uh is a a killing that is reserved for Ska who abuse Allomancy, which means that uh, Cayman did actually know uh, what Vin could do, at least in, in some way. 
Kelsier discusses that maybe he didn't know that Vin was a Mistborn. He probably just assumed that she was a, a soother. But but he did know, and the Ministry tracked him down and killed him for it. But Kelsier is not going to let this deter them from the plan, uh, and they're going to go forward with it. And that is where we, we leave off our section. All right, so uh, as we, we have wrapped up the section... Uh, I don't know. We we met a couple of side characters, but was there anybody that uh, anyone felt necessary to add to the cast list? I think we're we're hitting a point where that's going to be dwindling off. Anyone have burning casting for Kosan? Well, I I have a casting for Kosan. All right. If it it might be a little high profile if you're making a movie, but I pictured Meryl Streep. Probably can't quite afford her for this role, but. I can see it in in terms of the the kind of like the 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 dignity and and kind of business likeness. She'd get an Oscar nomination for it either way, so yeah, throw her in there. Yeah. All right. Um and my one more even though we see him now for the last time and he doesn't do anything except be dead, um I have a new Cayman. Okay. Um before a new new before Cayman. it was Wallace Shawn. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, before it was Wallace Shawn, um, <clears throat> this time it's somebody who is, you know, <laughs> currently dead, but in his prime, I'm picturing him, uh, Cameron Mitchell is who I'd, I'd go for. Uh, he's kind of a B-movie uh, extraordinaire. He's in a, a million different B-movies. Uh, he plays the scumbag really well, and he also dies really well. Um, he, he dies in most movies he's in. Um, and I pictured, I can't picture Wallace Shawn being gorily murdered, I guess. So that's my new Cayman. Everybody else I'm sticking with. That does seem like the, the kind of person who you'd want for that role though. Yep. All right. Uh, Caleb, who did you come up with? Yeah, I just had one for Kosan and ironically, um, did co-star with Meryl Streep at one point. Um, I have Francis de la Tour, who you may know as Hagrid's giant wife, giant person in Harry Potter for a couple of those movies. Um, and she also, for a solid 15 seconds, uh, does play the giant in the Into the Woods movie. Shoutouts to Into the Woods. Yeah, there Shout are giants to... in she the sky. cornered the market on large women. <laughs> oh, yeah. I could go into my thoughts on Into the Woods, the movie, but I don't know if we have time for it. Oh, yeah. No, I was giving shout outs to Into the Woods, the show. That'll be our bonus Good. content episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I watched the movie first and I was like, that's fine. I like it's fine. It's a, it's a nice little twist on a fairy tale. Uh, and then I watched the show. I was like, wait, this is supposed to be fun. I didn't know it was supposed to be fun um, <laughs> because the movie just is not fun. <laughs> Um, the show is very good. Uh, with the exception, were both of the princes played by members of Team Chris? No, one of the princes was Billy Magnuson, uh, but... That's right, yeah. You are correct that they are the, the redeeming moment Chris of Pine. that. They are the redeeming uh, uh, elements of that movie, because Agony, they do justice to. Uh, yes. That, that sequence was very good. Yes, the t- Chris Pine standing in a stream and ripping his shirt open while singing did redeem a fair portion of the movie for me, I will be honest. All right, so uh, we're now well along into the book. We're about halfway through section two. 
so it's time to figure out uh, what we think is going to happen next or what we've predicted will happen next and may need to to modify. We've had a couple things come up. Um, Sam, you mentioned uh, your prediction that Kelsier is, is not being quite so honest with the rumors on the 11th medal. And we did learn something about that. Uh, but it looks like from what I've seen, not a lot of our other predictions have we've seen one way or the other. Yeah, we have a lot of, uh, you know, driver predictions, but not a lot of like pitching wedge predictions. This analogy makes perfect sense. Continue. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I don't know what's going to happen in the next chapter, but I know that Vin's going to kill Lord Ruler and that Kelsier is going to do something where it's like, you have to do it, Vin. It's the 11th medal. Oh, but I don't know how it works. Trust yourself. Or some such thing. Brandon does not need to look any further for a screenwriter for his movies, ladies and gents, <laughs> and otherwise. Perfect. Um, I did. I, I have two things that I was right about. Uh, the first thing that I'm right about is that uh, Kelsier started the rumors on the 11th medal. Mm-hmm. I was right about that. And my second dub here is uh, Mistings are better at their elementic powers than Mistborns. Yes, that was, that not... was a, a thing that we, we had talked about. It's another good call out. Yeah, that was not a, a prediction. I think it was just said during the episode that I mm-hmm. thought that was a thing. But but yeah, um, I have a couple new ones. Okay. Uh, not as many as last time. I didn't I didn't fantasize about revenge this time. Yeah, this doesn't seem like such a, a chapter for opening questions. We're just kind of moving things along here. But uh, I'm curious yeah. what you've uh, what you've got on the mind. Uh, for one thing, uh, Vin's going to use Alamancia to form a function. I guarantee it. Okay. She's not going to be able to help herself at some point. Will it go wrong or will she get away with it? Uh, I think it's going to tip off an obligator uh, and she's going to have to find a way to fend him off. Like the traditional dance fighting scenes in, you know, those kind of comedy action movies where they're dancing, but, you know, trying to kill each other. Um, It'll be like that. Like, oh, obligator, haha, I'm I'm fending you off, but nobody can know that I'm doing it. Interesting. Okay. Um, or like the John Wick movie where they're uh the John Wick movie, aka just John Wick. John Wick, right. Um that that John Wick movie. This you know. Uh but there's a scene in it, I think it's John Wick too, where they're walking through like a, a subway, uh, and they're shooting at each other, you know, John Wick and another guy. Um and Nobody notices because they have silencers on their guns and they're walking straight forward. I think it'll be a fight like that um, or the, you know, kind of conceptual equivalent. Okay. Um, also, uh, Epigraph Joe, who I'm, I'm calling him Epigraph Joe, uh, he's a Lord Ruler. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure. I'm not, I'm not 100%. I'm like 96%. Uh, the alternative, I think, if he's not the Lord Ruler is that uh, the guy who's writing the epigraph failed because the Lord Ruler, like, backstabbed him and and took over okay. the operation. Um, so that's like a 4%. So 96% it's Lord Ruler, 4% it's, you know, some guy who the Lord Ruler, you know, <laughs> uh, beat, I guess. Okay. Um, 
I'm also starting to like the idea. Uh, I scoured TV tropes to find an example of this or like the, the what it's called. But I'm starting to like the conceptual idea that they're going to get to Credit Shaw. They're going to find the Lord Ruler. And the Lord Ruler's reaction is going to be akin to, uh, thank God, I, I don't have to do this anymore. Um, because from the uh, from the epigraphs, you know, it seems like this person is kind of uncomfortable with their role in this whole mm-hmm. operation. Um, so maybe, you know, it'll be a, a case of like, you know, I have to make a meaningful attempt to fight you because you're going to undo all my work, but I don't want to do this anymore. So maybe, you know, somebody else can take over. Um, but I think it's similar to the way they did the Mandarin in Iron Man 2, where it's just like, first of all, I think the Lord Ruler is just some guy now and not, you know, badass God because that happened a thousand years ago. Um, but uh, the Mandarin is kind of like, oh, thank God, you're you're finally, I can stop pretending to be this terrorist leader. And I can just be a British actor again okay so the 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 events that kelsier and crew are kicking off are going to let the lord ruler kind of change up what he's been doing yes uh and um ah you just set off a lightning bolt that i i immediately like a lightning bolt left my mind um oh wait no i remember um this is I think then going to be a case of like the Lord Ruler pretending to go after them, but in reality just doing enough to make it seem like he's trying to go after them. Um, you know what I mean? Like, mm, like okay, so so he's playing on kind of one level higher then. Like he wants either. I, I like this idea even beyond my theory. I think that he wants to fight Kelsier. I think he wants to have a personal hand in this. Um, But also, on a shifted side, I think that, um, you know, I guess this will be my probably won't happen, but would be interesting. Um, The Lord Ruler doesn't want to be the Lord Ruler anymore, and he wants Kelsier to take over the kingdom. Um, Not necessarily because he approves of Kelsier, but because um, he's just tired of it. This is okay. like I said, probably won't happen, but would be interesting. So don't don't hang me over it, people. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know. I think it'd be kind of neat. Yeah, no, I I think that that uh, there are interesting places that that story could go. Whether or not it is the one that Brandon went with, I think it it would be interesting. All right. I also think it's interesting that you think our listeners will hang you if we're getting a theory wrong. <laughs> I'm scared, man. I I put my foot in my mouth a lot. So, I don't know. Hey, you haven't said anything about volcanoes, so we're fine. Shoutouts to uh, the Sanderlanch crew and their ongoing saga of what the volcanoes do. On a, another podcast, there was a long-running theory about, about volcanoes that kept coming up and then uh, wasn't. All right, then. Uh, Caleb, have you made any additions to your list? Well, first off, just in the interest of uh, having Sam not being hanged um, and stopping the comment section from going nuts. I will issue the retraction that technically was Iron Man 3, not Iron Man 2, but we can move past that uh, quickly. Yeah, off by one. Yeah, it's pretty close. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot of theories this episode. Um, 
there is one, I don't have a lot of specific theories about this. There is one detail that either Justin, you passed by it very quickly in the summary, or you just skipped directly over it. Um, but at the end of chapter 10, Kelsier just casually talks about how he intends to pay the Lord Ruler a personal visit sometime during the next few days. Yeah, that is coming up. Um, which is interesting. Um, knowing Kelsier, that could be he's just going to do a raid on Credit Shaw and, and try to um, discombobulate things there. But part of me is really hoping that we actually get a little bit of a conversation between the two of them. I don't know what the context of that would be. Um, I think it is it is very tricky sometimes, and when it's well done, it's it's very well done. Um, it's very tricky in stories like this to have your one of your main protagonists and your antagonist just have a conversation um, unless one of them is captured, um, and I don't right. see that happening. So I don't know. I kind of I love the idea of Kelsier just showing up on the balcony and having a chat with Lord Ruler, and the Lord Ruler is like, "I know you can't kill me." And Kelsey's like, that's true, but if you try to kill me, I'll run away before you can, so let's just talk. Um, I kind of hope that happens. And in terms of kind of maybe building off of Sam's thing, if I, again, this is, I'm also putting this in the probably won't happen, but would be interesting if category. Um, if the Lord Ruler is in on the whole thing with Kelsier and they're like both planning how this is going to go down. That would be really interesting. I don't think it'll happen, but that could be super interesting. Um, um, but yeah, I think it's uh, the whether or not it comes true, the idea of Kelsier and Lord Ruler having an actual personal visit um, is very, very interesting to me. Um, in lieu of more theories, I do just want to point out some very nice attention to detail. Um, when he's brooding on the rooftop, Kelsier mentions looking west towards, I think, Tyrion, one of the ash mounts. Um, the, and then he looks east toward Credic Shaw. And if you go to the map of Luthadel, um, you can see that if he is standing on the roof of the club's shop, um, looking west would indeed be towards Tyrion, and looking east would indeed be towards Credic Shaw. There you go. Which is, yeah, it's just n nice to get those details right. That's always really cool when, when yeah. there's that attention to detail. It's kind of cool. At this point, actually, um, Brandon has some help with that. Um, at this point, he you know he was a, a fairly new, fairly small-time author, and he just had to, to figure this out. Um, but at this point, he has someone helping him with continuity editing, where... I think it, it shows up mostly in the Stormlight books, which are conceptually written as usually three independent storylines that are then kind of woven together. And so Brandon will, when he's writing, he'll just say something about, you know, the, the reports that they heard from this other person X days ago. And then it's his editor's job to go through and, and look at the timeline and figure out, well, when would X days ago have been given what we've seen of the other story so that all the numbers line up. Man, I would love something like that for my D&D &D campaign. Oh yeah, it, it reminds me of uh, Tolkien keeping track of the moon cycles to make sure that Frodo and Sam going to this part of the thing actually does line up with the same time it would take Aragorn and the rest of them to get to this location um, just to make sure that the timelines all work out. Um, it's very... It's very cool if you can pull that off, and it's very difficult to pull off. 
one of my favorite of those is um, the book The Martian by Andy Weir, uh, which then somehow got made into a big budget movie, which still baffles me. Um, but there's a there's a really great interview with Andy Weir uh, that was done by Adam Savage of Mythbusters, where they're just talking for a, a good 45 minutes. Um, and Adam asks him, the, you know, the book is clearly set in the the somewhat near future in that it's it's basically NASA as we know it, but they've made a a couple of significant advancements. And so he asked uh, Andy if he had a, a time frame in mind, like what year does this this book actually take place in? Um, and Andy Weir's response was, "I know the day that it takes place on, uh, because it turns out that going to Mars." requires certain orbits to line up in terms of when you're going to launch from earth and where mars will be at the right time and because all of the 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 math is correct on the space flight on how long things take and how much they accelerate and all that uh he actually had to know to the day when they launched from earth so that they would make it to Mars and, and things in the plot would line up when they needed to be. Yeah. And there's additional timeline stuff happening because um, Watney, who is on the Martian surface is keeping track of things due uh, through Martian days, mm -hmm. which are referred to as souls. Um, and then it cuts back to NASA and they're dealing with normal human days and they have to adjust from there to make sure that they can catch Watney at the right time to communicate with them. I think a Sol is like 25 hours, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's, it's just off enough that it starts messing with you over time. Um, but uh, The Martian is a very good book. And it a is. pretty good movie. The book is better. Yes. Great. So our next episode will be about The Martian. I, I'm on board with that. <laughs> um, I'll actually throw one last theory in there real quick. Um, not like a super uh, uh, in-depth one, but just because I love our our crew so much and i don't want any of them to be traitors um but it, it's also really cool when heist movies have traitors in them um i'm going to guess that uh, they will try to meet up with theron in order to get that part of the plane going and i imagine theron is going to end up being a thorn in their side to some degree of um he's either upset that he wasn't brought in earlier or they don't know if they can trust him yet and he ends up Maybe not, it might not be a direct betrayal, but uh, I think if any member of the crew is going to end up causing problems, it's going to be the guy they brought on at the last minute, um, who they aren't sure if they can trust yet. Okay. Um, so I think Theron might cause some, some difficulties down the line. Who also is completely blindsided by Cayman. Right. You know, so maybe, oh, that's maybe also it might correct. be easier to... I, I think that... First of all, I like that. Uh, but second, I th I think it won't be like a betrayal so much as a um, he'll be tricked into giving them up, or he'll be like outsparted. Not that I think he's dumb, just that I think he's uh, uh, easy to beat. Right. I guess. Well, ooh, do we want to? Okay, do we want to like combine theories a little bit where they trick him at first to get him to get what they need from him, and then the wrench in the plan later is when he finds out that he's been tricked. Maybe. Oh, I like that. Yeah. All right, I'm going with that. All right, I like it. We've got uh, we got some some things to look forward then, some places to go here. 
I also like that this last theory seems to have cre been created in self-defense. <laughs> I don't want these characters to be traitors so I because I like them too much, so I'm going to make it this guy. <laughs> I'll make it someone else. I don't want Travis Willingham to be a bad guy. <laughs> I mean, that I, I understand that. All right, I think then, without further ado, we can uh, wrap this discussion up and uh, get ready to, to read our next part. Uh, our next section uh, is, in fact, the rest of part two. That's four chapters, uh, 12, 13, 14, and 15, if you want to follow along. Uh, chapter 15 in particular is very short. It's the, the, the shortest, might be the shortest in the book. It is, in fact, the shortest in the book. Uh, so we'll be we'll be closing out another part there, and so we'll see well how much can can develop before next time. Chapter fifteen will read, "Oh shit!" Kelsier said as he was stabbed by the Lord Ruler, and then that's the end of part two. It's not quite that short, but I shouldn't have paid him that personal visit, and then he falls off <laughs> of the the parapet. It's very dramatic. Add it to the predictions. Add it to the predictions. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I'm going to. Probably won't happen, but it would be interesting if. <laughs> I would do it myself, but I still don't have edit access. <laughs> oh, right. I should I should do that. I'll take care of that. Before we go, here's some, some academic trivia that I was reminded of by, by short chapters. Uh, this is a, a very niche reference, but if you ever played uh, Quiz Bowl, you might know this. Um, whenever... There is a question about the tale of Genji, which by many accounts is the first novel ever written as a, a novel. They will always mention that there is a chapter that is entirely blank. The chapter is called Vanished into the Clouds and Genji Dies. And it's just, it's the beginning of the chapter. <laughs> That's a power the, move. <laughs> the title of the chapter, and then it goes to the next chapter and Genji has died. Can I, can I add on some trivia for you? You absolutely can. Um... For those who may not be familiar with the novel, The Tale of Genji, you may be slightly more familiar with the basic story um, through uh, the famous PlayStation 3 game, Genji 2, which is an action game based on Japanese history in which you do, in fact, fight a giant enemy so crab. So here's this giant enemy crab. Yes. And the... you can attack <gasps> its weak point for massive damage. Yes, the, the, the 2006 E3 for conference is, is legendary. Hmm. It's Ridge Racer. Ridge, Ridge Racer. Racer. Ridge I'm glad, Racer. I'm glad that we all are on exactly the, the same page here. The amount of real dopamine that flooded my brain when you said giant enemy crab is truly stupid. Just end the episode. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're we're getting out of here. Uh, if you want to to let us know what you think, uh, how much you love all of our predictions or our. Uh, episode style all the above uh you can email us at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com if you hate us i don't want to hear about it no that's fine and any and all feedback would be great uh, and uh we will be right back here for the next episode so see you all then and remember kids if you continue to just hit the xxx and the yyy you'll be sucked bye what?